his creation. Amen. Let's go to him and pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love for us. God, your compassion for us. Lord, that you have brought us through. You've kept us together. You continue to bless us just with your presence. And we just want to come to you now and experience you, God. Pray that you would fill us up with your spirit and fill this place as we sing praises to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's sing. Here we go. All my life, all I know, God's been good, good to my soul. Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. All right. Sing, 
interesting one too. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out what I'm. Hi there, good to see. You. It's so good to see everybody. All right, we're good. You guys excited to be here? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> oh man, okay. It's we're doing this twice, but because uh, that's the first for me. But hey, I've got a couple of announcements to make uh, to you guys here. One is. Um, our monthly prayer times we've been having, we're going to uh, have them in person and online at the same time. For people that are comfortable coming in person, we're going to be here Thursday night, 7 o'clock, and uh, we'll have the Zoom. We're going to, this is a new verb, right? Zooming. We're going to Zoom people in here. Uh, so we'll have a microphone so that those that are joining us by Zoom can pray, uh, can hear our prayers, and we'll be able to hear their prayers that they're praying, and we'll have their, all of their little faces up there in squares. Um, so anyway, uh, that's happening at seven o'clock this Thursday. And the other thing is, uh, our kids ministry is doing a hike. All right. Um, and that's this Saturday it's at one and it's at the Prairie Oaks Metro Park right down the road here on Amity. And there's a number of different entrances. So, um, the one that you would want to go into if you're interested in going to this is the Darby Bend Lakes entrance. Okay. Um, and we'll send an email out to the parents so that they can kind of know uh, if they have any questions too. They can email the organizers of the event. But they're just going to have a lot of fun. They're going to meet at the place where there's, a, there's the bathrooms and the picnic pavilion are all in one place when you go to that entrance back there. And uh, it's going to be the high is supposed to be 75. So it should be a good day just to hang outside and, and uh, fellowship and whatever. The kids get to see each other in person and all that jazz. So um, hopefully... Uh, you know, folks can join in on it. Again, there'll be an email sent out to the parents, uh, kids in the church, and uh, just to let you know more details. And if you have any questions, you can reply back to that. All right. Um, so now, um, oh, one other announcement I forgot to make, and that is uh, a number of you people that may have seen the announcement was a request for help that was put on our Facebook private page. And that was the Crook family has bought a house and moved up moving up, in the process of moving up to Bell Fountain area. And if you have any kind of carpentry skills or things like that, Mike is doing some improvements on the house before they move in. So if, you're, if you have any, some skills like that, uh, uh, let him know. Or if you don't know how to get in touch with him, just contact me and I'll connect you up. And then when they get to the point where they're ready to actually move in, uh, you know, loading some boxes into a trailer and unloading it, they're going to need help with that too as well. So we're excited for them uh, and the journey that God has taken them on. We're sad that they're going to be moving, you know, about an hour away. So they'll be looking for a local church up there, which is totally appropriate. But uh, anyway, so if you want to help in either of those ways, uh, you know, either contact them directly or if you don't know how to get into contact with them, I'll connect you up. All right. So, all right, listen, let's, let's go to prayer. Let's ask for God's blessing on our time here. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for um, just being able to be here today. Thank you for your provision. Lord, um, you, you know, everything we have is because of you. Every dollar in the bank account, every meal that we have, we know comes from you. And 
Thank you for the body. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you for this local body at Derby Creek Church, how people uh, try to take care of each other, look out for each other, serve each other, pray for each other. What a blessing that is. Lord, uh, thank you for the unity that we have, that you've given us, Lord. And uh, I want to lift up those that are, that are ill right now, that, are, that need physical healing, and pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would just touch them, and heaven would come down to earth, and, and your kingdom would come and, and be now what it will be in the future when, there's, uh, when everyone's healed in the, in the new heavens and the new, new earth, Lord. And, and we just pray that that would happen to them, they would experience that. And also, Lord, I want to pray for people that are really struggling with mental health right now. Ask and pray that you would strengthen them. Um, pray that uh, they would find uh, their refuge in you. Pray that you would lift them up out of the miry clay, as it says in the Scripture. Set their feet on a rock. Uh, and Lord, we just pray that if there's anything we can do to support and love on them while they're struggling, Lord, that we would uh, step up and do that as you lead. And so, Lord, we lift up this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So listen, hey, we are making our way through the book of Esther, and uh, we are in chapter 8. It's definitely been, uh, it's a challenging book to preach because you feel like you're always saying the same thing. Wow, look at what God did behind the scenes again, you know, uh, but uh, there's a lot of different things that we're also picking up on, and we're going to see that again today with Queen Esther and how she really, once again, courageously steps forward and, 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 and goes to bat for her own people, right? And she is, um, she's doing that. So I'm just going to read through these, uh, it's Esther chapter 8. And uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with, uh, we, put our, we do put the notes out online. If you go out, uh, if you use the Uversion app, you can do that. Of course, we've got them up on the screen. But if you go to our website, darbycreek.org, and click on sermon notes, it'll open up your Uversion app and put the notes right in there for you. And it has the scripture passages. So um, anyway, I'll just read this here. Uh, Esther uh, chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. On that day, day, King Asuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. Okay, now you got to remember, right, when we tuned in last time, because it is like, it's like a play. It's like a, we get these scenes, right? It's like an episode, right? Last episode was Haman was hung on the gallows, all right? the very gallows that he constructed to hang Mordecai on, right? And so, so um, Haman was hung on those gallows. And, and what happens is King Asuerus says, listen, Queen Esther, I'm going to give you all of his estate. And this guy was rich. I mean, this guy had a lot of land and everything. And so it says, uh, you know, that the king gave uh, Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told what he was to her. Now, remember, um, he raised her. He, the king did not know the relationship between these two people. And, but now it's revealed. Now it's revealed, right? And so we go on here, verse 2. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So Mordecai is now going to, um, he's like the prime minister now. Haman was the guy with the signet ring before right? And now Mordecai has it. He's basically going to be the prime minister of this kingdom. And, uh, and now Esther set Mordecai over the estate that the king just gave her, 
right? That's what's happening. Verse 3, then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman, the Agagite, and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the gold scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood up before the king. Okay, now you got to remember this, is what happened was Haman, evil Haman, he, when he had the signet ring and he was making laws, he made a law that, that was basically going to not only kill Mordecai, but he's going to kill all the Jews in the kingdom. And if you recall, they made their laws according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which means once that king's signet ring was on there, you could never reverse the law. What It was going to stand. You could not change it, all right? So, so even though Haman's dead, this initial decree is still looming over the Jewish people, right? And so, uh, so, he ha- so uh, Mordecai has, has, the, um, has the ring now, but uh, Esther is still making a plea for her people that they need to be saved, right? And so verse 4, when, king, when the king held out the golden scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. Verse 5, and she said, if it please the king... And if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then... King Asuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. In other words, okay, so we can't like reverse the other edict that was made, but we can make another edict in which could maybe kind of contradict it or a way to interdict what's happening. And you'll see what he says here in just a second. The king's scribes were summoned at that time. In the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, and an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps, to the governors, to the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language and also to the Jews in their script in their own language. Now, why is it saying all this? Well, you know, this edict was going to kill every Jew in every province in this huge kingdom. And within this kingdom were many different types of peoples who spoke different languages, though they might be Jewish, you know, some of them Jewish. So they wrote the law in all of their languages so they'd all know what's happening, right? All right, so then it says in verse 10, and he wrote in the name of the king, Asuerus, and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred by the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend themselves, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and, and to plunder their goods. Now, do you see how this 
how this law that's being passed is saying, you guys can defend yourself, you can gather together, and you can defend yourselves against anybody that comes against you, right? And so that's, that's basically what this law is saying. Then it goes on, on, the, on one day throughout all the provinces of King Asuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is in the month of Adar. So that's when the law was made. A copy of what was, what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, but publicly displayed to all peoples. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So, you know, because the law is still there that they could be killed if any group of people decide they wanted to try to kill the Jews, but now they can defend themselves. So the couriers mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in the royal robes of blue and white with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. Right, so here's the guy who Haman was plotting to see hanged. Here he is wearing royal robes, right? And it's been really, you think about those verses that just talk about, you know, um, how, how, you know, the humble will be exalted, right? Not those who seek exaltation, seek exaltation, which was what Haman, he was all about being seen as great and powerful, right? Well, here you have Mordecai, humble Mordecai, being exalted now. Great reversal, right? All right, verse 16 and 17, last two verses in this chapter. The Jews had light, had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. This, isn't that just, I mean, this group of people who were going to be wiped out fearing for their lives, now everybody's fearing for them. It reminds me of the Israelites, right? When they're, when they're brought out from Egypt, right? And the word started traveling that the God that was with these people is so powerful and people were starting to get afraid. That group of people's coming and their God's real and he does really powerful stuff, you know? And they started fearing them. And so this is what was happening. People almost kind of saying, oh yeah, I'm a Jew too, you know, because they're afraid. They're afraid, right? So this is the word of the Lord. It's, it's, isn't it just amazing the reversal that's happening here? A total change, and that's the God that we have. You know, he can just turn things on a dime uh, in, in his time and in his plan. There's basically three things that I, I wanted to point out as I think about this particular passage. Three things that stuck out to me, but they all kind of revolve around one theme. So three things, three and one. Wow, that's amazing. Almost like the Trinity. All right. Um, so, but one of them, the first one here, is just that as followers of Jesus, we cannot be content with our own salvation. Esther was not content for herself just to be saved from the situation. She's like, no, got to save all my people. And so she, again, coming into the king's presence without being summoned, right? I think somebody's Bluetooth keeps reconnecting. That's what's happening. <laughs> Probably one of the band members. Um, it doesn't matter to me. I, I can hear, you know, whatever. Um, so, um, you know, Esther was, was concerned not just for herself. I mean, she had everything she needed. I mean, she had wealth. <laughs> she had, obviously, position. She's the queen. 
And the king's not going to let her get killed, right? So, but she risked her life to come into the presence of the king again, and he, he granted her um, an audience by extending the scepter again, right? And so she came in and she made her plea for her people. And the king heard her plea and answered. And I was just thinking in a similar way as followers of Jesus, you know, we need to not just be content to have a relationship with God through Jesus. We need to have want others to have the same thing, right? To have others to have that same deal. And so, um, you know, that, that what we need to do is, is to have the heart of God. God wants to see people come to know him. You know, um, there are verses in the Psalms that talk a lot about, you know, all the nations praising God, right? Well, how's that going to happen unless all the nations hear about him, right? They have to hear. They have to hear about him. Um, this uh, Romans chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 3 says, I am, uh, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. I love that. This is really true, you know, which everything else is true. But he says, my conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you get that? He's, you know, he himself was a Jew by birth, right? Apostle Paul. And, but he realized that Jesus actually was the Messiah. So, you know, put him now in the category of Messianic Jew, right? Uh, He wants all his Jewish brothers, speaking in Romans chapter 9 specifically, he's talking to his Jewish brothers. I would, I would almost be accursed for you so that you could come to know Christ. His heart was so heavy for their own salvation. And so this first point is really just about, do we have compassion for people that don't know Jesus? You know, is our heart really desiring for them to come to know him? Right? Not in a, not in a holier than thou type of, I'm better than you, but in the attitude of, I've got the cure to the worst disease ever, which is sin. And his name is Jesus, and I want you to know him too. That's the attitude. It's that of compassion. I was thinking earlier today that, you know, I don't remember the exact passage, but the Apostle Paul said at one place, you know, we no longer see people according to the flesh. In other words, with eyes of just looking at their appearances. We're looking at their spirit. Are they saved or are they not? And ultimately... When you look at the the bottom line, that's what it is. Every person in the world either has a relationship with Jesus or they do not. And we need to start thinking that way in terms of our heart, that we would want people to to know the Jesus we know, that we would want them to spend eternity uh, with all believers in heaven. I I mean, I know that we could say that we all want that, like verbally, and we know that, but sometimes, you know, if... If we're honest, I'll be honest, because of everything that, you know, our jobs, our families, we've got responsibilities, all the other things that are going on in our world right now, sometimes that's just not on our heart, is it? And so the only thing I can think of that really helps us is if the closer we get to God, the more we get his heart for people. The more we get his love for people, the more we get his heart. 
And that's what we, that's, you know, spending time with Jesus in the word of God, seeing his heart of wanting other people to, to believe in him is, is going to be helpful. Um, so, you know, don't be, don't be, uh, you know, like the Christian who's like got that Willy, Willy Wonka golden ticket. You know, you remember, you may have seen the Willy Wonka on the chocolate factory, right? Got my golden ticket, right? I get to go in and see, uh, you know, all that's going on there at Willy Wonka's place. And like many of you probably remember some of our younger ones, probably like Michaela or whatever, and you guys, the J Train song, right? I got a ticket to ride. Who sang that song? I put her on the spot. Sorry. Is it Toby Mac? Toby Mac. Yeah. Toby Mac, right? So sorry about that. Put you on the spot. But yeah, Toby Mac sings that song or sang that song a long time ago, but I got a ticket to ride. That's about having a ticket to heaven, right? Of course, Jesus, the J train, he's the ticket, right? Um, And so we don't want to just, we should be excited about that. You know, I can remember, you know, back in my dorm room when I accepted the Lord as my Savior, I was excited, right? And most people are when they first come to the Lord, but, you know, that kind of comes and goes as we go. And so, you know, a great prayer to pray is, like the psalmist says, restore to me the joy of my salvation, right? Lord, restore that joy that I had at first, right? And so I, um, just having a, a desire to see people saved. Some of you might have a heart for missions. Some of our young people I've talked to that have grown up in here, I know, you know, Amber Affairs and went on the world race. I hear there's somebody else might be going on the world race, right? Uh, and where you're going around the world, spreading the gospel and doing good works in Jesus' name. Uh, what a great calling, what a great thing. You know, not everybody has that calling for foreign missions, but um, it starts with a burden. It starts with a passion for the lost, right? And I read about this guy his, uh, back in the 1800s here in America. His name was Adoniram. You know, you don't gotta find that in a baby name book these days. Adoniram Judson was his name, Okay. And it says, Judson felt burdened to serve the Lord as a foreign missionary. And this is really, uh, there was no, in his denomination, which was a Congregationalist church, there was no mission board that he could talk to about going. There was no other mission boards in the area that he could seek to get support because you'd have to raise money to go, you know, to get where you want to go, to whatever country you were felt called to, and you had to get money to live, right? So you were support raising, and uh, there was nobody. And it really, he was so burdened, and he wrote a couple of articles in a couple of um, magazines. And in it, he expressed his frustration with so many Christians who were just unconcerned about people that, that didn't know the Lord, who, who were not hearing about Jesus. And so, uh, so he, he, in there, he wrote this. It says, how do Christians discharge this trust committed to them? That trust would be the gospel. It says, how do Christians discharge this trust committed to them? They let three-fourths of the world sleep the sleep of death, ignorant of the simple truth that a Savior died for them, content if they can be useful in the little circle of their acquaintances. They quietly sit and see whole nations perish for lack of knowledge of God. And, uh, you know, that's tough to hear. That's tough to hear. And we know that not everybody is getting called to the mission field abroad, okay? But... What I like about that is the heart of that, right? And yes, we do need people to answer the call of missions, don't we? There, you know, if you look any missions agency on the web, 
There are plenty of unreached people groups, plenty of people that have never heard about Jesus. That's hard for us as Americans to even fathom, but it's true. And so, you know, at the very least, we ought to be praying, right, for the Lord to burden those who he has chosen to go to, go to other countries, right? Uh, wasn't the prayer of the Lord Jesus also say we ought to pray that the Lord would send forth workers into the harvest, right? That's what we ought to pray. Lord, don't only save people, raise up workers, people that are going to get the gospel out wherever they are, whether it's locally or abroad, right? So, oh, and, and this point with this, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, um, Matthew mentions, uh, uh, he quotes Jesus here. And he goes in here, well, I didn't quote it, but it talks about Jesus. It says, when he saw the crowds, so Jesus is looking out over the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when Jesus looked out on people, again, he's not just seeing the externals. He's seeing the need of their soul, right? He's seeing that, that they don't, there is a, a Jesus-shaped, whole, if you will, in every person's heart, and nothing will ever, ever take the place and fill that spot except for Jesus, right? And knowing Christ as Savior. So, you know, this first point really is just all about having compassion for the lost, having a heart for the lost. Um, you know, I, I was uh, thinking that over the years when Pastor Charlie has, has spoken uh, at our church. 99 times out of 100, it was a message about evangelism or related to evangelism, right? Why is that? He has a heart for evangelism, right? It's just coming out of him, right? And yes, there are evangelists. There are people who have a gifting in this area, right? But we need to hear that heart because gifted in the area of evangelism or not, we need to have a heart to see people come to know Christ, right? Amen? We do. So now, the second thing, which relates to the first thing, has to do with praying for people, okay? So there's that heart of, you know, of compassion for the lost, but here, uh, let's, uh, let, that should be let, let perseverance, let, let perseverance in praying for others to come to know Christ as Savior and to grow. No, let's guess this. Let's. Sorry. I wrote this point. <laughs> let's. Let us. Yeah, let us. Per- I need a language lesson, dear wife. Let us persevere in praying for others to come to know Christ as Savior and to grow. You know, the Apostle Paul, you know, last time I mentioned Romans 9, was talking to his own people, the Jews. Now in verse 10, listen to what he says. I don't have it up on the screen, but listen to Romans 10, verse 1. He says, this is Paul. He says, brothers, he's talking to his his Jewish brethren. Brothers, my heart's desire, excuse me, he's talking to believers. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And the they there are the Jews that he knows. His heart's desire, what did it do? It turned into prayer. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And so not only, we want to turn that compassion for the lost into prayer, right? Into prayer because, you know, if God ain't working, ain't nothing going to happen, right? Uh, and, and that's true. 
right? That we want that seed to fall on good soil. And so um, the Holy Spirit has to prepare a heart, right? I mean, you could, I, I was the same way. You could probably talk to all kinds of people who are believers. They say, well, yeah, man, I heard the gospel a hundred times. It was that hundred and one time when God was working on my heart and working all the circumstances in my life, you know, and boom, I believed. And that, you know, lot, many seeds have to be planted many times, oftentimes, because we don't know the timing, right? Um, and so uh, prayer is critical, right? So I was just thinking that uh, Esther, she, uh, she interceded for her people. Well, how do we intercede? We pray, right? That's what intercess- intercessory prayer is. You, you're kind of going to bat for somebody in prayer. And this is what we need to be doing. But let's not only pray that people would come to know Jesus, but let's pray that they would grow in their walk with Jesus. We ought to be praying that for ourselves, right? And that's what this reference to First Corinthians, or excuse me, to Colossians is, Colossians 1, 9 to 14. Listen to this. Colossians 1, 9 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and understanding. So at first he's saying, I'm praying for you, Colossians, that you would know the will of God, that you would come to an understanding of what he wants for you as a believer, okay? And, and I don't really think we're just talking about our specific, you know, will that he wants to do in my life, and whatever, but just generally, what has he written down? What is his revealed will that we know? Um, not necessarily his secret will that we, we, we don't know, like till after looking backwards maybe or something, you know? Um, and so he says, I pray that you would know his will. Verse 10, so, here's the reason, right? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He says, as you discover what God's will is in the Bible for your life, and as you submit your will to his will, then you're going to bear fruit. You're going to bear fruit, he says. And you're going to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord, that's worthy of your calling. Uh, And it's going to be a pleasing life to the Lord. And honestly, you know, it's... um, in my life, I have tendencies to be a people pleaser, okay? Uh, I'm sort of like the golden retriever, you know? He wants everybody to like him, right? And so, uh, you know, and who doesn't love a golden retriever? And I'm, I'm, I'm a little biased in this department. But, um, you know, but, but that cannot override pleasing God, right? But sometimes I can let it, right? Because sometimes what people want conflicts with what God wants, and then you got a choice, right? And so it, it just, it, we just, we need to be God pleasers. We can't be man pleasers, or else we're not going to live a life that's pleasing to God, and we're not going to grow, frankly. You know, we're, I'm talking about this in light of not only praying for people to be saved, but to grow, right? I mean, I could, we, I could easily, as a believer now, pray this for myself every day. Lord, help me understand your will. Help me to walk in it. Help me to bear fruit in every good work, right? That's what we need to, to be thinking of. And then it goes on and says, well, how do we do that? How do we do that? Are we going to actually just gut it out, create, you know, really strive in our own flesh to do the will of God? No, you better not because you're going to run into trouble. He says, 
being strengthened, this is verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'll stop there. But here's the thing. Really, what I put here in these parentheses, know what God wants, then do it in God's power. That's what we need to do, right? Know what God wants, do it in his power, not in the flesh, right? Things done in the flesh are not going to really yield any kind of spiritual fruit. Might get some good done, but I'm just saying, like eternal lasting fruit, okay? One last thing on this second point, because, you know, as we pray for people that we know and love, that God has put in our circle of influence, we pray for their salvation. We pray for their growth in the Lord if they come to know the Lord. Guess who doesn't want you to pray? Satan. Yes, you got it. The devil does not want you to pray. In fact, if he could get you doing anything else but praying, he would probably be happy, right? Uh, in, uh, I found this quote from, uh, there's a guy named R.A. Torrey who wrote a lot about prayer, okay? And he said this, he says, it was a master stroke of the devil when he got the church and the ministry so generally to lay aside the mighty weapon of prayer. And that's so true. That is so true, right? God wants us to see that weapon of prayer, okay? Interceding in our context, and we're talking about here, interceding for people that don't know Christ. This is what we need to do. Uh, because, you know, it's a heaven and hell matter, okay? <laughs> this is serious stuff, you know? It really is. So uh, just remember that, um, You know, the devil doesn't want you to pray for the people that are in your life. He doesn't want you to pray that they would come to know the Lord, okay? So that's all the more reason to pray for them, right? It's like a kick in the the devil's teeth, all right? Now, last thing I want to mention here. You know, the, the topic of joy and celebration is mentioned at least seven times in this particular chapter, right? Now, let me just read for you what one of the commentators said. It's it's not a long quote. I'll just read it. It says, this chapter begins with Queen Esther in tears, right? uh, Crying out, uh, pleading, right? But it ends with the Jews rejoicing and feasting in verses 15 to 17 in Esther 8. Happiness of one kind or another is mentioned in this paragraph at least seven times, okay? The Jews had been been mourning and fasting, remember? (laughs) They had a death sentence, Nine months' time, they're going to be wiped out. They were mourning and fasting, right? But, um, but now, they're ecstatic with joy. They get this news. They get this incredible news that they can defend themselves. They can, and now people are afraid of them, right? And so, I was just thinking about letting the joy of our salvation be our signature, what we're known for, right? As believers, Right? Knowing Jesus as Savior ought to be the best thing, you know, as they say, since sliced bread, right? Uh, you know, it just ought to be knowing that heaven is secured because of Jesus' blood, you know, for me, right? And that we know that's an individual thing, right? It's not this blanket coverage that everybody in the world now is saved because of what Jesus has done. You have to access and accept that gift by putting your faith in Jesus, right? But but that ought to be enough. If that was all we ever got, right, was salvation, eternal life, that should be enough, right, to fill us with joy, 
right? And as it goes on, this commentator says, the thing that made the difference for the people, the thing that made them joyful, that made the difference was not just the writing of the decree or even its distribution to the various provinces. The thing that made the difference was the fact that the Jews believed the decree. It wasn't that when it was just written down and posted up there. They believed it was true, right? And for us as believers, right, not just the joy of our salvation brings, you know, our salvation brings us joy, but knowing the word of God is true and living it out brings us joy, right? You read in the Psalms about how the word of God, you know, is our delight to be our delight and brings us joy and uh you know, and this is, this is it. This is what God has for us. Romans 15, 13 is a good promise. It's been a while since I looked at this, but it's just a great reminder. Romans 15, 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Now listen, in believing. In believing. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. There's a connection between believing what God says and being filled with joy and peace. You know? So when you read the word of God and he gives us a promise, we need to stand on that and live our lives in light of the promise. And that brings joy. That brings joy when we do that, okay? Now... Um, I was with our, with our small group, we were watching this um, video by Matt Chandler on Psalm 119, and he was talking about how there's a difference between knowledge and belief. And he was saying, you know, um, I can have information, but I don't, I'm not really believing it until it actually affects my life. In other words, I can believe, you know, that <clears throat> I can believe that broccoli is good for me. But if I don't eat it, I don't believe it, you know? Okay, maybe a bad example for some of us, but, but you know, or maybe let's broaden and say, I know eating healthy is good for my life, but if I don't eat healthy, then I don't really believe that, right? You see the idea of connection between belief and how it changes our life. And the word of God should take that role in our lives, okay? And so we're talking about letting the joy of our salvation be our signature as believers, the joy of our salvation, but also the joy that comes when we stand on and live out our lives according to the Bible. There's great joy in that. Wonderful joy when we obey, right? Now, you know, there's also joy in announcing the message of salvation. Um, I was mentioning this in the first service too, is that, you know, why is it I mean, there are a number of reasons, but one of the reasons why that so many people, when, they, when we come back from Nicaragua on our missions trip, that everybody's so excited. Um, <clears throat> is it the suntan they got while they were down there? Uh, probably not. Uh, but many times it's because we're sharing the gospel in all these different places. We're doing good works, but we're also sharing the message wherever we go. There is a joy that comes from sharing the gospel, right? And so um, as, these, as the word went out from Mordecai, in, back to Esther, as the word went out from Mordecai 
And they posted up all these decrees, right? As that message spread, joy went out every place, right? And if that message of deliverance brought joy, then ourselves communicating the message does bring joy. Um, years ago, down in, on campus, I won't say how many years ago, it was a long time ago, uh, before some of you were, I'm sure, born, um, some of the pastors were kind of known, if you went to them and asked their advice on something, like you were struggling with something, they, the, the joke was, this was, I know this wasn't always true, it was a joke, that there was always two standard answers. Well, you just need to have a quiet time and share the gospel. That'll solve a lot of your problems. Just have a quiet time, spend time with Jesus, and share the gospel, okay? Now, we know that doesn't solve every problem. But I think that it, the point was, and again, this was a joke, but, but they were saying, spend time with Jesus. He does help you a lot in your issues, right? <laughs> and then when you share the gospel, a lot of the things that were such a problem that you thought were a problem are just not a big deal anymore because you're focused on other people. You're focused on letting them know about the Savior, and it brings you joy. Um, so so those, those are two good things to be engaged in all the time, right? But uh, I, I can tell you, you know, when, I, when I'm sharing the gospel, when I get an opportunity to make some kind of a witness for the Lord, it's, it's joyful. It's exciting because um, you see the Lord's at work, right? So um, anyway, it, it's just amazing when you look at this passage and you see kind of this overarching theme of Esther, her compassion for her people and the people who were going to be um, killed, annihilated, right? She was doing everything she could to save them. And we ought to do the same. We ought to do the same. Anybody that we know that doesn't know the Lord, uh, we ought to do whatever we can to let them, in a loving way, know about Jesus, right? Um, bring up spiritual conversations, right? It's, it's, it's hard, you know, um, Oftentimes, though, what happens is it's over a series of conversations, right? Oftentimes, many times it's not a one-time sit-down. Hey, let me tell you about the four spiritual laws. Now, that does happen, okay? But many times, though, it's just an an ongoing conversation. Just even when you have a friend, you'd ask, well, hey, you know, what do you believe about God? You know, I go to church. What do you believe about God? You'll find out a lot. And this can be an ongoing conversation and maybe get a chance to share your story, right? So we see the compassion. We want to have compassion for the lost. We want that compassion to turn into prayer and intercession, and that we want our, our lives to be filled with joy because that also speaks volumes. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have blessed us um, with your son Jesus. And we thank you that anyone Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says anyone who, who really confesses the name of the Lord will be, set, be saved. Uh, it believes in the name of the Lord will be saved. And we confess this with our mouth. We believe it in our heart. And then we, we come to know, we come to genuine faith. It's, it's really that simple. But we know it takes your Holy Spirit, Lord, to be working on a person. And I, I pray if there's anybody here or, or watching that, that really does not know you, but who desires to know Christ as Savior would today put their faith in Him. 
And Lord, help us to have a compassion. Help us to have a heart of compassion for the lost. Help us to pray, to be intercessors, to know the devil does not want us to pray and to let that motivate us to intercede for other people. And Father, I pray too, fill us with your joy. Lord, if there's something in our life that's blocking that joy, let us deal with it. Let us put it aside. Find our joy in you. Find our joy in sharing the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Cool. Well, we could stand on up and sing a couple more songs. Continue to praise our God. All right. You guys ready? All right. Let's join together and sing again about the beauty of the Lord. Here we go.
36 verses 5 through 9 says your unfailing love O Lord is as vast as the heavens your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds your righteousness is like the mighty mountains your justice like the ocean depths you care for people and animals alike O Lord how precious is your unfailing love O God all humanity finds shelter in the shadow of your wings you feed them from the abundance of your house, letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Amen. Let's continue to just praise him for his goodness. You are close like no 